I said, well, sure, I'll try to, to preach on the next part, which is this part, uh, Luke 8, uh, or Luke 2, 8 through 20 is what he asked me to preach on, but I found out as I was studying it, 20, verse 21 needed to be included in that. So we'll go through that. <clears throat> as we think about what has happened so far, we've got... Uh, there was a long time in, in the nation of Israel that God was silent before Jesus came. And uh, it caused all the people to really be looking for God to come back and, and speak to Israel. And uh, it was several hundred years that it, it, there, it was quiet. From there was no uh, angels appearing, there were no uh, uh, prophets that were coming up, and so uh, the nation was really looking for God to speak, and specifically for a Messiah, because they were under the Roman rule now, and uh, they would seem to be uh, kind of in a lost state as a spiritual nation. And so uh, things started happening pretty quick. Uh, when they did happen, and isn't that the way God does things? He all of a sudden, bam, here it comes. Uh, first of all, uh, Zachariah has an angel visit him. That's the first time an angel had, had visited anybody in, like I said, hundreds of years. And uh, the angel uh, told him about his son John was going to be born, and uh, and then he even gave him. Uh, some signs about it. You know, you're not going to speak till he come till he is born, since you don't, since you're doubting. And then there was uh, the angel came to uh, Mary and told her that she would bear the uh, his very own son, son of God, and uh, and and then uh, uh, Joseph has a dream and. Uh, He's, uh, instead of, uh, uh, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant and he's betrothed to her, he, you know, the first thought in his mind is, uh, I've got to do what's right here. I'm a righteous man. And they were all righteous people, righteous in the fact that they wanted to do what the law said. And so <clears throat> Joseph says, well, I, I'm going to have to put her away somehow. Now, there's two, two options. I can either stone her which was under the law that uh, he could do that. But he was a merciful man, so he wanted to take the second option. He decided was deciding that he was going to take the second option, and that was to uh, privately divorce her and put her away that way, and that way uh, she would, could keep her life, but he would have her out of his life. But in, in his... Uh, Thinking about all these things, uh, he had a dream, and the, in the dream, uh, the Lord told him, uh, "Don't don't be afraid to take her as a wife. She is she is a righteous woman. She is still a virgin. She is actually carrying the Son of God, the Messiah." I don't know if we can even comprehend that as women. That would be almost an unbelievable thing to hear, wouldn't it? And as men, 
I don't know that I could believe it, even if I dreamed it, or if an angel came up and told me face to face. But that's one thing. When God says something, you believe it. And so they believed it, and it was happening. And so it did happen. And we saw last week that he was born, uh, and uh, back in verse 7 it says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, which also tells us that she had other children after that, so that kind of discounts the, uh, the Catholic belief that uh, she was a perpetual virgin uh, because she had more children after that. And she wrapped him in clothes and put him in a manger <clears throat> and because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Jesus is born, and now we get to uh, <clears throat> the... Uh, part of the story that we're talking about today and it says and in the same region there were some shepherds staying in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night verse 8 when it talks about the same region if they were in Beth uh, they were in Bethlehem region and by rabbinical law you couldn't keep flocks of sheep in town so you had to be a certain distance from the town to, uh, to keep them. So they were out in the fields. It could even be possibly have been fields like where uh, David, as a child, had kept sheep out in the fields. Probably the same fields. And, uh, and so these shepherds were uh, very familiar with, with the... Uh, with all the things that go with the kingdom and uh, David and those things. <clears throat> and uh, another thing is the sheep that were kept, Bethlehem is only about six miles from Jerusalem. And there was actually a part of rabbinical law said that if they needed a sheep for sacrifice and they had run out of sheep uh, in Jerusalem for sacrifices, they could literally come and take any of the sheep in that area around Bethlehem because uh, it was just uh, a uh, a need that they would have, and so that was the way they took care of it. <clears throat> and so they were literally taking care of sheep that were going to be the sacrifice for sins. So that's a kind of a neat relationship that they had to the fact that Jesus was going to be, is the lamb that, that uh, is the only true sacrifice for any sins. So, uh, and uh, uh, just a, a little bit about uh, the theme of this whole, this whole section here is it's really a proclamation of good news. Uh, and it, if we drop down to verse 11, we'll see that, that this is the key verse because what the angel says is, for today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news, this is the first time that the good news is proclaimed to anyone on earth. And it, this is the good news. Good news is the gospel, right? That's what uh, the, the word good news is. It's, it's, it's good news. And why is it good news? 
It's good news because the good news is that someone has come that can take away the sins of man. It's not good news that somebody's going to come and make our lives better or that somebody's going to come and take care of problems we have in our life that we just don't seem to be able to get over. The good news is someone has come to take our sins so that we won't spend eternity in hell. That is the good news. And any time that we talk to somebody about the good news, if we say anything other than there's, the good news is their sins can be taken care of, we have missed the point. We're not telling the true gospel. And so we need to be careful to do that. And the only way to tell somebody that their sins is, are, are being taken care of is to let them know that they're a sinner. And, uh, and even the best person in the world deep down knows that they have sin. They may not want to admit it, but they do. And that's the, the good news is that that sin can be taken care of. <clears throat> so these shepherds uh, were about to receive the good news. And uh, it's interesting that Jesus coming as a humble child born in humility and having to be in a manger instead of in a home and and all the uh, humility that he came to earth to to go through, he left glory, set it aside, and came to earth to to become a man, and then uh, live in the lowliest of situations uh, to start with. Uh, this message comes to some of the lowliest people of that time. Uh, if you think of the social uh, stratosphere or uh, the social levels of people <clears throat> in that time, you had, uh, you know, this message could have come to the uh, Sanhedrin because they were the ruling body over Israel at the time. Uh, and, uh, that, you know, that would have been a good choice if, if you were trying to do a PR job on Jesus coming. Or because they would get it out to everybody, or hey, send it to the uh, Pharisees because they were the biblical elite. They were the ones that tried to keep all the laws and stuff, and so they were the ones that looked to be righteous to everybody. So they had the ear of the people because people were always, you know, kind of put to shame by them. So they would listen to them, or maybe even they would take it to the uh, uh, and announced it to maybe. Caesar or uh, uh, some political leader so that the world would know about it. But no, God chose to give it to the humblest of the humble people, the shepherds. Shepherds were considered to be humble because of just who they were. First of all, usually the shepherds were some of the poorest paid people, they had to work seven days a week uh, keeping the sheep. They couldn't take a day off. Uh, they were literally, usually they were unskilled because keeping sheep, remember David kept sheep when he was a boy, so it was a job that the children usually did. So shepherds were usually 
kind of ignorant people. They didn't have a skill, so to speak. And uh, they were looked down on because of their uh, place in society, their uh, uh, skill level, their possible ignorance, and uh, the fact that they work seven days a week. They couldn't go and, and observe the Sabbath like everyone else. So it kind of put a stigma on them in the fact that uh, they were, quote, a little unclean because of that, because they weren't fulfilling the law like they should. <clears throat> and so for God, isn't that just like God, though, to bring the most wonderful news that could ever be brought to the, the people that are looked down the, on the most? As a matter of fact, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I, mean, I am not even knowing where I am on my thing, <clears throat> but it, in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 and 27, uh, Paul even talks about this. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise among, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, noble, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world, which are the things, uh, to shame the things which are strong. Uh, and then uh, in Isaiah 61, 1, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord... God is upon me, and that's talking about Jesus because this is the very verse that Jesus tell, uh, reads when he's in the, uh, uh, when he goes to N Nazareth and goes before the, the uh, church there. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus himself says, hey, I have come for the lowest of the low. I've come for those that are, are in, in need. Now we're all in need, but he's coming to the ones that know they're in need. And uh, it's not until you know that you're in need that you'll even hear what the Lord has to say to you. So that's one, one reason I think these shepherds in particular had already been prepared by where they were in life and probably where they lived. They had, had uh, known and were looking for the Messiah. And uh, a lot of people in Israel were, so... As far as their ignorance goes, I don't think they were ignorant in what the Lord was doing or in their desire to see what the Lord would do. They may have not been skilled in other ways, but I think they had a handle on that. And that may be one, one of the reasons that God brings, it, brings uh, this wonderful message to them to be the first to ever hear it. What an honor. What an honor. Uh, and so... We're talking about the proclamation of the good news. And uh, as we see these uh, shepherds here, uh, they're just you know, minding their own business. Uh, 
and their business was to keep the sheep. They would stay in the field overnight uh, with the sheep. They 24-7 with the sheep. Daytime, they'd be out uh, grazing, but at night, they'd have to get them into a pen. And in the pen, they would, uh, it would be like maybe uh, a wooden fence put up with maybe a little shelter or something. And then they have a gate. And they would uh, get all the sheep in there to protect them from thieves or animals that <laughs> might be out there, wild animals. And they would have to take watch at night. So they'd be in different watches during the night. And at their watch, they literally watched at the gate. And instead of having a gate that would open and close, they were the gate. They would literally lay down at the opening to their sheep pen and that way the sheep couldn't come over them and something couldn't come into the sheep to get them. And Jesus said that, uh, that he is the good shepherd and that he was the gate to the sheep, to the pen. And what he's saying there is a, is a marvelous teaching that if you are in his pen of sheep, he's not going to let you get out and nothing's going to come in and get you. There's the doctrine of eternal security right there. So uh, these shepherds were there at night, and they were doing their shepherd thing, maybe playing flutes, talking, telling jokes, whatever they do. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, had their harmonica, if, like they did down the west. I don't know. Uh, except for they had flutes. So that, that's it. Uh, the musical part for you, Adam. Uh, and, uh, and then all of a sudden... Uh, it said, suddenly, the angel of the Lord stood before them. And when it says stood before them, he wasn't like out on a far hillside. He was, bam, right in front of them. Can you imagine the shock of all of a sudden an angel in his, in his shimmering white garments in the middle of a dark night standing right in front of you? Uh, it says that they were terribly frightened. Uh, and not only was the angel there, and, and, but it said, and the glory of the Lord shone. And so we have these shepherds who could never have in, in their wildest dream expected an angel to show up to talk to them. But on top of that, the glory of the Lord showed up. This is the first time the glory of the Lord had shown to anyone anywhere in hundreds and hundreds of years. I think it's 500 if I'm correct. It was The glory of the Lord left the temple in Ezekiel's day, and it hadn't been back since. This is the first time that the glory of the Lord showed up. Now, remember I told you when God started showing up, things started happening in a hurry. You know, angels showed up, dreams started happening. And now the glory of the Lord shows up with this angel. And uh, the glory of the Lord is really God showing up. Because God is not a person. He doesn't have a corporal being that you can see. But his glory is what you see of God if you see him. And so that's another reason I can say that I think these shepherds were righteous people that they believed in the coming king, that the coming Messiah, and they, had, uh, they were looking for that. That was their heart. They were just like uh, uh, 
exactly who was it in when Jesus goes to the uh, the temple uh, Simeon and uh, yeah Simeon when Simeon was looking for the for the promise well these guys were looking for the promise too and so uh, man I got I'm glad I got y'all out there to help me with this it's a it's a a joint effort. Uh, and so, uh, just like Simeon, these guys were looking for the, the promised one, the Messiah. And so, uh, that's a, uh, an, another reason I think that they were righteous. Not righteous in what they did, it's in righteous in what they believed. And salvation in the Old Testament is really no different than salvation in the New Testament. It's all faith in God is going to take care of our sins. Now, we have a better understanding from our side that he's taking care of it through a clear understanding of what Jesus did and did for us, but they were looking for a coming Messiah, one that would take care of that for them too. So, and it's always by faith. That, that people ha are made righteous. So here they are, they're, they stand there blown away, and it says, and, uh, in the King James Version, it says they were sore afraid. I like that, because uh, uh, I think of them being so, so afraid it hurt, but literally it means that they were uh, scared to death. Uh, and uh, who wouldn't be? with something like that happening if you were in their place. They, uh, and uh, one other thing about the glory of the Lord showing up, uh, I was watching, uh, I think it was Thursday night, uh, Green Bay played uh, whoever, Chicago, I think. And uh, they had a thing at halftime honoring Brett Favre. They uh, Put his number. Uh, they retired his number and put it up on the on the uh, stadium wall, and he put it in their hall of fame. And then uh, they had a big uh, thing at halftime for it. And at the end of that, uh, Bart Starr shows up. He's really old, disabled. Dis he has a lot of disabilities. He's sick, but he made a special effort to show up to honor Brett Favre uh, in that hour. Well, it's a weak illustration by a long shot, but isn't it right to be honored when uh, somebody makes an appearance? And how could God not show up and honor the announcement of his son's birth? I mean, it's, it's just what's right and God does that uh, and these guys must have been righteous because if the glory of the Lord showed up and they weren't consumed by it then uh, then that show that's just another proof that they were righteous men and believing men and uh, when he shows up and all this happens uh, they were uh, scared but uh, as in and all the times that uh, angels show up or the glory of the Lord shows up, uh, uh, their first reaction is uh, there's fear and then there's 
the command, don't be afraid. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, not being afraid, uh, it's interesting. Do you think that if that happened to you that you could just automatically, okay, I won't be afraid? Well, when God says something, it happens, right? And they, they, they went from being afraid to not being afraid. So it's, it's really a command that has power to fulfill itself when that happens. And uh, he said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, uh, which shall be for all people. And so this talks about the pervasiveness of this proclamation. Uh, it says uh, it's going to be for all people. And uh, the word for all people is the Greek word laos, which also we change into laity. So it means not just the religious elite, but for everyone. And it's really specifically for Israel here, but uh, as we saw with Simeon, uh, when Simeon sees Jesus, he, he talks about uh, uh that Jesus uh, uh, had come not only for the Jewish people, but Simeon says, For my eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, the light of revelation to the Gentiles. Hey, that's us. I'm glad for that. And the glory for your people Israel. So it's not just for the uh for the nation of Israel is for all nations. <clears throat> and, uh, and so we see that the, uh, the pervasiveness is, is uh, good news for everyone. And then, uh, then he goes on to tell them there will be a sign for you. So it's not just for everyone in general, but it's for specifically these guys here. It's for you. There's a sign for you. Uh, for today in the city of David is born for you a Savior uh, who is Christ the Lord. So it's the, the salvation that's coming through Christ is for all people who will believe and specifically it's for any person who believes and so that, that just covers the whole gamut uh, and so <clears throat> and born for you a savior it's specifically your savior it's born for me he was born for you for you for you all of us he was born for as a savior <clears throat> and then uh, there's the person of this proclamation, of course, is Jesus. It doesn't specifically say Jesus, but in this in this verse, it says Christ the Lord, and uh, and those uh, two words for Christ uh, or for Jesus is Christ and Lord, and uh, they have a strong meaning to these guys. Uh, first meaning is uh, Christ. In the Old Testament, the counterpart is Messiah. So 
He's telling them, this is the Messiah. Uh, and that means the anointed one that's worthy of uh, exaltation and honor. Uh, it's God's anointed king. Uh, it, it, it means anointed one. He was anointed king. If you look in Revelation 17, 14, it talks about him being the anointed king. He's God's anointed high priest. That's in Hebrews 3, 1. And he's also anointed as a prophet and spokesman in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. So Christ is king or anointed one, and then also he's Lord. And Lord is someone in leadership or authority who deserves respect and esteem. The Greek word uh, for slave is doulos, and then its counterpart is uh, the word kurios, which means uh, Lord, or the slave owners were called curios by their doulos slaves. So it's the one that is over someone. Uh, and even in the Old Testament, when Sarah, uh, Sarah used this, when she said, uh, when she called Abraham Lord. So it is a title that you give someone who is over you. Uh, and in the context, the word curios here has a stronger meaning than just someone in an elevated position. <clears throat> it's a divine title. When curios was used with reference to Jesus Christ, it, com it conveys the meaning that's implied in the Old Testament word Yahweh. Because uh, if you take the Greek translation of the Old Testament, everywhere the place that the word Yahweh is used, it's the word kurios is put in its place, which uh, shows that in the interpretation that the word kurios is to mean God. And, uh, and so this is a point where you, Jesus is shown to be God uh, and so uh, we see that Jesus is not only their king, but he's their God. And uh, in the basic uh, confession of Christianity, uh, the basic confession is Jesus is Lord, correct? Uh, and so uh, Jesus even said, unless you believe that I am, which means God, you will die in your sins. And, uh, and our verse that we use in, uh, in evangelism, uh, Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, curious, uh, uh, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation only comes to those who submit themselves to the lordship of Christ. He's not here to fix problems. He's here to control your life, to take over your life. He is the one who shows you how to live. You had to deliver your life over into his hands in order for him to be lord. Otherwise, you're just in rebellion. But the purpose of the uh, the purpose of the good news uh, 
is found when uh, the angel starts singing. And uh, Luke uh, 2.13 says, And suddenly there, were, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts uh, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. So the purpose of this good news is what uh, is the purpose of our lives and the whole world is to bring glory to God. Uh, <clears throat> and that's what angels do in heaven all the time is they, they uh, just glorify God and what would, why would they be doing anything different here when they came to earth? They're just there singing glory to God. Uh, and uh, so they were doing what angels do all the time. And they're doing what we will do all the time when we get to heaven is glorify God. Uh, and then uh, God gets glory from praise, the praise of the angels. He'll get glory from praise from our praise. And then uh, he also gets glory in the fact that uh, he brings peace on earth. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we get peace with God through Jesus Christ, what are we going to do? We're going to give glory to God for that, right? We give glory to God for that. And so he gets glory on praise. He gets glory from the peace he gives. And then uh, God gets glory in his good pleasure. It says, uh, when they were singing, they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased, with whom he is pleased. Uh, and this pleasure uh, is, among, is, is among the men with whom God is pleased. It doesn't mean that men please God and he gets pleasure because of that. Because none of us can please God. Uh, Ephesians uh, 2 9 says, Salvation is not of works, so no one can boast. If we could boast, we would be taking what? Glory away from God. But since we can't boast, since He's given us salvation, uh, and it's to the ones He's pleased to give it to, who gets all the glory? God. Uh, and uh, the literal Greek here says uh, men of his good pleasure. Uh, it's those who God chooses or wills to show his favor to. That's a hard to swallow uh, that God chooses to give his good pleasure to just certain men, but that's what the Word of God says. We don't want to get too hung up on that because if God is drawing you and your heart is open to uh, to receive him as your Savior and Lord, then just th be thankful that, that he's, he's giving you that option uh, and uh, he gets glory out of that. Okay, and finally, hmm, how's my time going? Not too bad. <coughs> finally, we got a big one to go though. Uh, not only do we get the purpose of the good news, the glory of God, but we also get a picture of the good news. <clears throat> and that's in the last 
uh, part of the uh, this section of scripture. When the angels went away from from them into into heaven, going back to do what angels do, that's just glorifying him up there instead of down here. The shepherds said to one another, "Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the things, the thing that uh, has happened, which the Lord has made known to us." And they went in haste and found. Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Uh, and when they saw it, they made known saying that they that they had been told concerning the what they'd been told concerning the child. And all that heard wondered and what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and for what they had heard and seen and had been told. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. This is, a, in a wrap-up, is a picture of what happens when the good news is presented. <clears throat> we have these uh, shepherds, and what happened is they received the good news. The angel tells them, hey, uh, in the city of David is born to you a Savior. And so the first announcement of the gospel is given to them. Now, they receive it or hear it, and then because they believe it, this good news, they start to act on it. And isn't that how salvation works? You have to hear the good news without a, without a preacher how will they know? So you have to hear the good news. They hear the good news. They believe the good news. If, if you believe with your heart, uh, you will be saved. They're believing. And then what happens once you've heard and believed? You start to seek after Christ, right? What are they doing? They're going into the town. They're looking for what they've been told about. And they're excited. They have to tell everybody about it. Isn't that what happens when somebody gets saved? They got to tell everybody they can think of what has just happened to them, right? That's the witness that comes from hearing the good news. You know, most uh, of the the most excited witnesses are the ones that are just been saved. If you're truly saved, you're going to go out and start sharing that news as best you can, and. Uh, we seem to kind of, as we grow in our faith, and I'm not sure it's true growth, but as we get deeper or uh, as time goes by in our faith, we seem to lose that, uh, that exuberance to go out and share our faith. And that it could easily be a sign that we have uh, let other things creep into our life instead of the love we have for our Savior that we, that we should have. Uh, so uh, that's a good, a good test to see where we are in our relationship with our Savior because these guys were excited, and we all need to be excited about the good news that we've been given. <clears throat> and uh, in verse uh, 17 and uh, or in 16, they, they went and they found Joseph and Mary. Well, going and finding Joseph and Mary... Uh, they were given two things to look for. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes 
and lying in a manger. Well, any baby that's born back then was going to be wrapped up in clothes, so that's not the defining factor. The defining factor is that he was laying in a manger. That was an unusual thing. Probably uh, had never happened. Never had. I don't, I'm not sure about that, but it was really unique. So they go into town, Bethlehem, a small village. It is crowded, but here they are, and since Jesus was born in a semi-private place, probably more public place than private, the word got out that a baby was born. And, you know, when babies are born, women, what happens? Y'all talk. Y'all want everybody to know, hey, there's a new baby in this. Oh, it's great. And the guy's probably talking about it. This one was born out in the middle of the courtyard here or whatever. Uh, and so the word was going around, so it probably wasn't too hard for them to find out that a baby was born. And then when they found the baby and just as the angel had told them, they were, that just reinforced what they'd been told. But it not, not only reinforced what they'd been told, I imagine in between verse uh, 16 and 17, there is a long conversation between these shepherds and uh, uh, the, uh, Mary and Joseph about what the shepherds had heard. They told their story, and then what Mary and Joseph had, had been going through how Mary had uh, been visited by an angel and how she'd seen uh, Elizabeth and the baby jumped in her womb with uh, excitement because the Holy Spirit was, was in him and that uh, uh, Joseph had had the dream and he kept Mary and, and then now the baby's born. And so they went through all that together and it just reinforced each one of them's understanding of what God was doing there. And that's why it says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This reinforcement just caused her to go over and over and over. I can't imagine, I know mothers think a lot about their children and what's going to be in the future, how I'm going to take care of this and that. Can you imagine Mary thinking about how she's going to, how am I going to discipline God in human flesh? Will I even have to? Will he be disciplining me? Uh, you know, uh, how's this all going to work out? And now, angels have announced his coming, and he announced them to these people, and uh, it just—it's just overwhelming the thing—the things that were going on with them. And then the shepherds go out, and like I said, they're—they're they're witnessing to everybody. They're telling everybody they see all about this, and uh, the people. It says. Uh, 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 wondered at what they were hearing. It doesn't say they believed anything, and that's the way most people do. They, they wonder about what you're talking when you tell them the, the gospel. They don't necessarily believe it, but they, so we don't know that anyone was saved during this witness, but hey, they did their witnessing, and that's what we're supposed to do. We leave the, the, uh, salvation up to God because he's the one that does that. So <clears throat> so they heard the news, they believed it, then they sought the Lord, then they shared the Lord, and then you have Mary growing deeper by pondering the Lord. And don't we do that as when we're saved, we, we, we get to a point where we're growing deeper after that initial excitement we go deeper with the Lord. Uh, and then the final thing is the 
you have to go back to your normal life once you once you get saved. I mean, you got to get back into the workplace, and that's what the shepherds did. They returned to the field where they where their sheep were because they had to take care of those. But there was a change in their life, and isn't our life supposed to be changed once we received the Lord? Uh, and their their life was changed because they went back glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard and been told to them. Do you think their life was ever the same after they saw that? No. Is our life ever the same once we've seen the Lord? Absolutely not. And then there's one final aspect of salvation that comes, and that's in verse 21. That's why I had to include it. And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel for him before he was conceived in the womb. The angel had told John uh, that he would, uh, uh, I mean Joseph, that he would be called Jesus. And, uh, and so uh, Joseph had an option to name him whatever he wanted to, but he was obedient and named him Jesus. And uh, isn't that what uh, our life is to be about? Once we've come to Je once we've come to the Lord, we know Him, we've seen Him. We're supposed to be obedient to Him, and so out of this comes a picture of redeeming faith. I hope this has blessed you as much as it blessed me, uh, and I'm so thankful I got to be able to talk talk on this this morning. <clears throat> now we're going to transition from this Word of God to uh, the Lord's Supper. But before we do, David, right, you want to come on up. <clears throat> I want to challenge you uh, and uh, I think I know all of you, but I'm fooled by many. There may be some of you that uh, are for the first time realizing, you know, I've heard about Jesus and uh, I've heard all these things about him, but I've never really called on him as Lord of my life. I've never been, bent my knee to say, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm your servant. Do with me as you will. If that's the case in your life, I want to challenge you today to totally surrender to him. This isn't something that you do over and over again. This is something you do one time for eternity. Would you consider these things? And uh, if you need to talk to any of us about it, we'll be glad to go over that with you and, and help you with that. But uh, that's, my, that's my invitation to you today is to just consider where you are with Jesus and what you need to do with him. <clears throat>